Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome to Episode 66 of District of Conservation. I'm going to use this episode to debunk certain misinformation and give you guys a quick recap over what I saw and observed down in our state capitol at Monday's Lobby Day, which has been taking place for 18 years peacefully with no interruptions. And this year's rally, despite having a lot of negative attention attached to it, especially smearing by people who vehemently oppose gun rights, it was positive and the outcome couldn't have been better and the prognosticators were wrong and why the discussion of guns on a conservation podcast simple you probably know the connection between excise taxes collected on guns and ammunition and where that is dispersed to in terms of habitat restoration wetlands conservation wildlife preservation and hunter's education among many things and that is made possible through the Pittman-Robertson Act of 1937, and iterations of that law have since been modified, and it's factoring in now recruitment and retention reactivation, thankfully. But guns and ammo have a lot to do with that, and they, those excise taxes, play a critical role in funding the large share of all those significant environmental programs, conservation programs, and without them, those activities those things that we enjoy would not be enjoyed whatsoever. So there's a lot of consequences when you have gun control in effect. So I'm going to make that argument here in this episode with this recap as to why it's important. Here is my recap of Monday's rally. It has to be said that so much of the fanfare and media attention that was awarded to the Virginia Citizens Defense League annual lobby day event, which was never going to be violent, as we know. It was never going to lead to any type of conflict or confrontation, just as it has in years prior, obviously being peaceful and tranquil. Uh, that's what the goal of the event is, and that's what most Second Amendment rallies and events are. They're peaceful. People congregate peacefully. They want no harm and have no ill will. And specifically for this event, this is to lobby lawmakers because Virginia is a part-time legislature. It's been in existence for 400 years. Last year was 400 years since the establishment of the General Assembly, which is our state legislature. And it's the oldest contiguous lawmaking body in the new world. So there's a really special place in governmental affairs with respect to that. There's some cool historical underpinnings with our legislature. And since Democrats have taken over, especially those who got backing by Michael Bloomberg and other anti-gun, gun control interests, the people who won and now lead certain committees, especially committees in relation to firearms law, put out bills that are perhaps the most extreme I've ever seen in Virginia since I moved here. And 
perhaps even look more extreme than some bills that are currently in effect in New Jersey and even in California and New York. And the reason why Lobby Day got a lot of attention, this is some backstory for those of you who are outside of Virginia or are not following this case closely. Uh, The reason why there was so much attention awarded to Lobby Day is because of this burgeoning sanctuary movement, Second Amendment sanctuary movement that started immediately after Democrats retook the General Assembly after 15 years of being out of power. And as a result of that, most Virginia counties out of the 95 counties that are in existence here in our state, 91 have actually voted to be sanctuary counties. And moreover, there are a few dozen towns, a handful of cities, including Virginia's largest city, Virginia Beach, which is home to one of the largest military installations in naval bases, excuse me, in the world and lots of other military installations. And even despite having that horrific mass shooting in May of last year, that city, their their mayor and many council members uh, by a six to four vote voted to become a constitutional city in terms of second amendment protections. And what this is, it's more symbolic. This is not legally binding, but it goes to have a symbolic effect that these localities will not enforce gun control if they were to pass out of the general assembly. And there are several bills that have already passed in different committees that are going to go before full chamber votes and then could ultimately be signed by the governor and which would then go into effect by July 1st. That's usually when after session is done, new bills go into effect. So if gun control were to go into effect uh, right now during the 60 day session, because 60 days for every even years, 45 days for every odd years, that's a lot to absorb, but that's what I understand how our general assembly works. But there's a lot of bills that go through. And unfortunately there are a lot of gun control bills. This is why you saw this movement. And this is why you saw so many people turn out for lobby day. Unlike in years prior, there's usually about a thousand or so people who go to lobby day. I went to my first one in 2016 as a activist. And now this past Monday, I went more so as an observer and someone who's trying to report on the ground as to what was transpiring. And like I talked about on the triggered podcast and in my article at the resurgent recounting my observations, again, it was peaceful. Everyone was assembling fine. Even the presence of long guns didn't intimidate people, most people on the ground. You even saw reporters like Lois Beckett from The Guardian, who covers guns from a more liberal perspective, even highlighting that her life was not in danger while covering the event. And I think people were just scared of seeing that. I understand if you're not used to seeing long guns or if you're not used to firearms, you have that fear. But to lump those 22,000 and even estimates have gone up to like 30,000 to 50,000. I I'm told more realistically unconfirmed numbers are about 35,000 people who attended lobby day events. People have said that, uh, there was no incident. Police did not report of any arrests, uh, related to anyone with a firearm. So that goes to show the notion that an armed society is a polite society And the governor issued a temporary emergency declaration leading up to lobby day. It was enacted on Friday of last week at 5 p.m. through yesterday, Tuesday at 5 p.m., making it so people were forbidden from carrying on Capitol Square, which is if you've seen pictures or video footage from Richmond, it's the area close to our state capitol building, uh, that white building in the back 
round that you saw. So that was blocked off by barricades. He, the governor ordered that. And he had the gall to say that this event could rise to the potential of a Charlottesville. And that was completely unfounded and completely untrue. And event organizers roundly rejected those comparisons. They even said in statements in various email blasts that anyone attempting to disrupt the event or bringing in symbols or items or thoughts that distract from the intent of lobby day, which rejects white nationalism, which rejects neo-Nazism, those attitudes were not welcomed. And it was good to see uh, House Republicans and Senate Republicans in the General Assembly also echo those claims as well. So to say that this was a white nationalist neo-Nazi event was extremely wrong of the governor and those in his party. And you saw lawmakers after the fact uh, discuss Lobby Day. My own congressman, Don Beyer, who is a former car salesman, uh, say that this event is largely attracting these white nationalists, neo-Nazis. And again, it didn't have any sort of presence of people like that there, thankfully. And I also observed, too, that at this rally, despite the governor's emergency declaration, which technically violates Virginia law because there's a 2012 law that he, as a state senator, voted for in 2012, believe it or not, that bars governors from confiscating guns in the event of a national or excuse me, a state emergency declaration. So he violated the law, although the Richmond Circuit Court upheld that and the Virginia Supreme Court also upheld his temporary ban. Again, I think it was excessive and it was meant to deter people, not only that, but also putting up the barricades. Those two facets were, were in effect done to deter people from coming because I think they're very afraid of this movement. It's not going to lead to violence. It's not going to do anything of that sort, but they're afraid that a lot of people underestimated their so-called common sense gun control agenda. And the fact that a lot of people are now going to their counties, getting involved in the process, reading the news, reading what these bills contain, they're realizing that they may be in political jeopardy political jeopardy, and voted out next cycle. The governor is term limited, so he can't run again for another consecutive term. But House Democrats or state Senate Democrats who supported these bills perhaps could have their... Uh, opportunities for re-election squandered and rightfully so because they put their support behind these bills. And I hope there are some Democrats out there in the General Assembly who have thought twice about giving license to these bills. And I hope that they do join the Republicans in rejecting these bills. But indications from what I've seen so far only show maybe one Democrat deviating from party lines. But anyway, uh, the event was peaceful. There were people of all different racial, sexual, genders, uh, socioeconomic statuses. I saw so many unique and different people there and everyone got along fine. It was really cool just to see stereotypes shattered of those participants present. And it was amazing to see that big of a turnout, especially with it being so cold. It was maybe in the twenties or low thirties. And just to see that turnout there was amazing. And as someone who routinely covers gun rights, it was something that I felt compelled to report on the ground. I had the day off. I, I figured it was important to go down there and cover and report back to you all who listen what goes on. And like I said, early on, guns and ammunition, if if the legal sale of firearms and ammunition becomes greatly diminished, although Virginia just saw the second highest uh, month of gun and ammunition sales in history back in December, and I'm going to include those for the show notes, and I can imagine what gun sales and ammunition sales are going to look like this month, given all the uh, excessive gestures by the governor, his 
party acolytes and gun control activist groups here in Virginia. So I can imagine records are going to be shattered in terms of sales in January. So I will get those numbers for you when they're made available. But just as someone who reports on guns, who's been around guns and has seen firearms and and see people actually do good stuff with it, uh, promote a positive culture, promote guns, true gun safety, I can tell you that all the media mischaracterizations, all the smearing that was done by much of the cable network talking heads was completely false. I hope if it rises to the level of defamation that VCDL maybe could sue the pants off of these people because to be falsely labeled as part of an extremist group is unacceptable and and they shouldn't tolerate that. So I hope that uh, if they find sufficient grounds to do so that they maybe do look into that because unless people start to fight back, a character defamations, they're going to continue to label law abiding gun owners as criminals lump us in with those people who perpetrate gun crimes. And we can't tolerate that. And seeing people exercise their first amendment rights to support the second amendment is a beautiful thing. It's democracy in action. And anyone smearing these people, these good people who came and even people who came from out of state who came to exercise their rights, it's a wrong approach for the media to do. And I hope that they reconsider maybe some of the rhetoric that they were spouting and perhaps start to go cover these events more closely and with an open mind like myself and plenty others have hi everyone i hope you enjoyed this recap of lobby day why firearms and ammunition and the potential limiting of their legal sales will adversely affect conservation and our constitutional rights is pertinent for this podcast you can download past episodes. We have 65 as of this published date. And you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you have Apple Podcasts, be sure to subscribe, download some past episodes, and leave us a review. Any and all reviews are greatly appreciated. That helps us get to reach more people. And just more action on the podcast helps us rank higher on apple Podcasts, and you can do the same thing on spotify and other platforms i'm going to have more content for you guys next week so thank you for following if you're a regular listener if you're a new listener welcome i hope you enjoy the podcast and the content